You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wealth Tech on Deck. Our podcast listenership keeps growing. We have over 2,000 listeners over the course of our 30 episodes. As you know, we talk with industry leaders each week about the confluence of digital and human advice and how to help improve financial outcomes for all investors, advisors, and firms. Today, a longtime friend in the business is joining me. Noreen Beeman has uh, worn a lot of hats over the years and is now the president of Orion Advisor Solutions. Noreen, thanks for joining us today. So glad to uh, be having this conversation. Welcome. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. It's, I, I think back how long we've known each other and just all the wonderful things and all the changes in the industry, but it's really nice to spend some time with you today. UMH, it's here. We'll get to that. Oh, oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> so Noreen and I have known each other. She's much younger than I am, but uh, we've known each other for quite a while. So it'll be fun to catch up on stuff we talk about from time to time when we say hello. So Noreen, let's start uh, talking about how things are going as, as uh, Brinker and Orion have been merged together. I know you've been moving at a breakneck speed. So please fill us in. What's going on? So it's hard to believe on September 24th, this is one year. And we did all of it primarily virtually. And the fun part now is we've been together doing whiteboarding sessions, integrating our organizations. And the Brinker Capital program is now integrated on Orion Tech, which opens up a lot of gates in delivering our products and services into the Orion ecosystem, but more importantly, allowing us to take advantage of the technology deliverables that Orion brings to the table. As you know, Eric Clark, his real driver on creating Orion was to ensure the right technology for this type of business. So it was like a perfect home and clients are going to see a new advisor portal, a new client portal. They're going to really be able to use the talent and tools of the hidden levers acquisition we just did. So we've been running at breakneck speed. Yep, yep. The good news is we have a lot of commonality from a cultural perspective that makes it easier, but yep. it has been a mad dash, I would say. Yeah. So fill us in a little bit for those that may not be familiar. I, I think uh, I sometimes need a, a little bit of a primer to fully understand. So what was Orion's business? the former before Brinker and what Brinker obviously was the predecessor firm to advise Orion Advisor Solutions. Right. So maybe just talk about what y'all did differently and now how it's come together and, and specifically your role in what that final outcome is. So when we think about Orion had actually a broader ecosystem, they had the Orion technology, which they serve um, REAs and independent advisors which was the old FTJ business that was Orion Portfolio Solutions, where they had taken CLS investments, which is more similar to Brinker from a discretionary asset management, and they were bringing that to market. Mm -hmm. Brinker Capital, you would really consider more of a wealth manager delivering financial products to independent advisors and independent broker dealers and RIAs, but not as much of a fintech player. We use financial technology and technology to deliver our services, but we didn't manufacture any of the technology prior. Now, as we put those together, I am the president of Orion. So I've come to fintech land. As a user of technology, it's actually not as much of a a leap as people try to act like it could have been. I would get a kick out of them like, we're not making donuts. They're buying financial (laughs) products. I get it. 
<laughs> so that's been kind of fun and learning new things around the technology side and sure. understanding it's all around the experience. So yep. as we think about the two organizations together, it's really de- delivering the best experience for that advisor to deliver to that end investor. And how do we solve problems? How do we take friction out of the experience? You know, I always say there's three ways clients fire advisors. The onboarding process is not great. When they need money, they can't get it out the day they want it. And the tax reporting. So you got to take care of those things and then add all that wonderful experiences around when they want to visit their money, whether it's on their phone or on their computer, and really helping that financial advisor, keeping those investors invested, even in difficult markets. So talk a little bit, if you would, about there's a few other acquisitions around Brinker being uh, brought into the Orion family. There was Advisor, the financial planning tool. Mm -hmm. More recently, there was Hidden Levers. I'm probably missing a bunch of others. But the idea is a pretty comprehensive ecosystem that's been created really for the benefit of advisors to bring to their clients. So maybe describe the pieces and how they come together. And then I'll have a follow-up question because we had Daniel Crosby on uh, our show not too long ago. And I want to talk about that, but hold off on that because I think that's fascinating all all by itself. But how's the stuff come together and how do advisors benefit and how does ultimately investors benefit? So at our core, our mission is empowering the advisor client journey. And we do that for the four pillars in which our prospect, plan, invest, achieve. And each of those pillars bring with it different technology pieces that either you can use our fully connected experience. So when we purchased Advisor, that was pre-Brinker, it's now our Orion planning and it's our client portal. Advisor really fit into that, you know, planning piece, but also some of the prospecting, the ability to deliver types of questionnaires or engagement tools through that prospecting, helping the advisor gather new clients. And then the investment bucket, which again is the Brinker Capital bucket, as well as CLS, the prior investment arm, which is now Brinker Capital Investments, as well as, which is exciting to me from Brinker, more of an open architecture experience on the investment side. Again, meeting advisors where they want to be met. Some want a fully engaged, you know, connected ecosystem, and some are looking for just pieces. I always call that Jenga. So how do we take the pieces out without having the house fall down, which ties into building up the economics on our side of the business, as well as empowering the advisor in those choices. And finally, achieve, which is our reporting and those kinds of things, which will tie into Dr. Daniel Crosby. The addition we brought on with since Brinker's been here is hidden levers. And what's exciting about what the hidden levers team has done is around risk. And when you think about the importance of how you put portfolios together is understanding risk, educating the client about risk, and the engagement tools that hidden levers brings to our ecosystem are really exciting, especially in a digital engagement. You know, how do you make the markets go down 10%? How does that affect my portfolio? So some stress testing, as well as using those risk analytics to build portfolios. And then finally, we have another little one, Pentenix, which was helping us with reporting and doing some things with alternative investments from a reporting point of view. And we'll be continuing to look for other pieces as we continue to build out our connected ecosystem. Terrific. I'll ask more about that in a moment. I want to go to our friend, uh, Dr. Daniel Crosby. We had him on not too long ago. And as I understand it, and correct me if I don't have this just right, Hidden Levers will be the proposal system. And within the proposal system and the ongoing experience, I think, that part you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, will be to make sure the advisor doesn't do dumb stuff. Frankly, help the advisor and the client not do dumb stuff, I should I should point out. The idea being that uh, want to make sure that as moves are being made, are they at the wrong time? So maybe you, I'm sure you can do a much better job than I just did trying to explain it, but it's pretty exciting incorporating the behavioral aspect into a proposal system and into an ongoing guidance system, we'll call it. 
So when we think of ourselves as investors, like what makes you uncomfortable? Like maybe we're a 60-40 investor, but how I see the world and like the weather is bad, that makes me uncomfortable. So the advisor should reach out to me. On the news on Monday, made it made you uncomfortable, Jack. So the advisor should reach out to you on Monday, but not to me because I didn't really pay attention to what happened on Monday. That's where risk capacity and risk composure matter. And taking the hidden levers um, technology and taking that human element of Dan, what Dr. Crosby has built over years of studying behavioral finance will allow us to keep the investor invested. The hardest challenge advisors have is addressing the human component, right? Like how are we, you have a great portfolio, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, but you don't just feel good about it because of what's going on around you. So this understanding what's happening there gives that advisor the tools to help the client stay invested. I kind of think of it as a mood ring, which I know isn't really a behavior, like a real technology thing. <laughs> but I'm like, I would say like, if you're a purple, I'm like really dating myself a mood ring. But some days based on how you're feeling, you might be more of a violet, or maybe you're a deep purple because of what's going on. And I just think that your risk tolerance generally is the same, but your risk capacity and risk composure are different. And each of us bring that cookie cutter, that human experience. And how do we give the advisor the tools to engage on that. So that's what I'm excited with. Again, we could never have affected all Daniel's work, but for a technology company like Orion. Yep. Yep. That's exciting. So I have to tell a little story. 10 or 15 years ago, Noreen, you had invited me along with uh, another of your colleagues and colleague and friend, uh, John Coyne, had invited me to speak at your conference. And John slipped in a, a title of uh, my talk, which was UMH. It's here. Of course, uh, UMH is still uh, being developed, but it sounds like what you're putting together, and we joke with John about that every time we see him, but uh, it's something that's hard. And But you have a lot of the components. You have almost all of them. Just I'll make an editorial comment. You're missing the tax piece, but that's for another day. Mm -hmm. As fully as I know you have some of it, but I think you would agree there's more to go. That said, you're putting it all together. Is that is that the objective, is to have a unified managed household experience? Is that what you're after? Without a doubt. So when you really think about what are investors expecting, they really are expecting you to manage the money as a household. They're not really, you know, while there are pieces because of different registrations, whether it's an IRA or it's a taxable account or it's Susie or Sally's, they don't really care. They want you to know them. It's that hyper-personalization, which I think has changed in our industry so much in the evolution. We wanted UMH to be there 15 years ago. We clearly right. did. And some advisors we know are doing this, but they're doing it on maybe an Excel spreadsheet or off the side of their desk. And how do we give that advisor the tools? Because managing a household takes a lot of time if it's not in a comprehensive way. One of the things I also love too is the Orion billing. The things they can do at the household level was something we were never able to do at Brinker. You know, that they can do billing at the sleeve level, that they can do billing at the total account level, that they can change things at the household. Like those are things that they're so ahead of the curve and really exciting to be a part of. But I do think the UMH needs to be here and that's how people think. Well, as someone who, uh watches the UMH race underway. You guys are uh, right near the front of the pack. So uh, very exciting in terms of what you're what you're doing. I want to talk about the future more in just a little bit. But before we get to the future, why don't we talk about the past a little bit? How do you wind up in this business? I know the story, but for our guests, maybe give a little background, kind of a brief overview. How the heck did you wind up as the president of a fintech asset manager 
whiz-bang company like Orion? It's kind of crazy. You know, when I go back and you know, you're, you become reflective as you get a little older, right? Like you think back like, oh my gosh. But I really, I came out of public accounting. I was at Ernst & Winnie. I'm now clearly everyone knows how old I am. <laughs> I went to work at a large life insurance company next door, Mutual Benefit Life. And it was in 1991, it's going out of business. I had my eldest daughter and Chuck Widger said, hey, I'm going to buy the company. Do you want to come? And off I went with Chuck Widger and John Coyne, and there was eight of us. We had 100 million under management. And so I fell into this business as an accountant, not really a very good accountant. Interesting. And we took it from $100 million to at the end, prior to merger, we were almost 30 billion. There were eight of us when we started, 165. And I'm so proud of what we created there. What I'm probably most proud of is that at the end, we were voted one of the best places to work by pension and investments, best places to work by um, in the Philadelphia, because it's all about people. And Mm -hmm. the life lessons I learned going through that, but during that experience at Brinker, I, I did almost every single job, but actually picking the investments. So mm-hmm. including sales, mm-hmm. which is when I met you, Jack, yep. and so. then being out and about and building products. We did a lot of work on that. Insurance as an asset class, I know was one we had talked about then, the UMH. So many things, maybe too early for what technology could deliver. And then finally, from 2012 to the end of last year, I was the CEO. So a lot I was proud of. And now, like, then they bring me into fintech land. I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> was life happen outside your comfort zone? But I am learning, and which is, makes me excited. And what's also very nice is that there's a lot of room for me here even though going from the CEO of the company to now president, but it's a much larger organization and a much broader reach. So I'm yeah. very excited about that. As you should be. And as I think we both agree, the future is fintech, that frankly, managing money and producing better outcomes for investors and advisors is a function of integrating all the technology that you all are doing with, I'm sure, more to come. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? What, what's your crystal ball say? Where, where does our industry head? Where does Orion head? What's, what's the future hold over the next few years? You know, I'm a big believer is that technology doesn't cause disruption, but unhappy clients do. And I'm stealing a line out of a book. But (laughs) what I think is important is we think of the consumer. How do we want to interact as consumers with our money? How do we want to visit our money? How do we want to allocate our money? Like, what's the money's job? And I think that one of the challenges our industry had is that we were a little slow to move. And then we had disruptors that kind of came in. And Betterment, to their credit, we have to give them just, you know, give them their due. They shook it up and we all had to move along. And, you know, we stopped using jargon and, and making it not accessible. And the millennials are, you know, again, they have money now, but more importantly, before that, they had influence over their, as a baby boomer mom, my millennial children had influence over my buying decisions. And so I think as we look towards the future, we need to create frictionless experiences for an end investor. The companies that we run look like the clients that we have. As women become a larger part of how we buy, do we want to buy in the old traditional ways or do we want to engage in ways that make us feel comfortable? And that's why having the tools available and multimedia. And then how does our next gen want to buy? So I think that we have to stay focused on the consumer and investor and help those financial advisors drive that. So I think it's all about, as you said, it's the technology, it's the delivery system to allow for a really personalized engagement. So I've not uh, entered into this turf before, but I'm going to do so with you because I've known you for, at this point, decades. It's plural. You were a woman uh, leader early and you've sustained that, maintained that, achieved that. 
What's it like? How is that for you? I got to believe you're very pleased and proud, but talk about what it's been like for you. What I think is interesting, and I've read a few things about this, is that women who kind of adapted to the situation they're in and didn't really care about it. So I didn't really care. My father raised, I have one of four girls. He raised us all like boys. So we didn't have any brothers. So, you know, again, Hudson County, New Jersey, you had a little rough and tumble. I would share with you my oldest, she was like 22 at the time. She's like, mom, you need to talk more because it's not still not fair for women. Now she's 30. So she kind of kicked my butt about getting out there and talking about the differences. And then more importantly, I worked at a place where flexibility was key. So Chuck and John, they both thought about having flexibility and family. I have three children. If I had been in one of the big banks going back, I don't think I would have been there. But the investments they made and allowed me to have some flexibility paid off. Mm -hmm. So as we think Mm -hmm. of now coming out of the pandemic, I got to work at home in 1991. I worked out of the house for 20 years before that was fashionable. I have an office here that's set up because of that. Mm -hmm. Now with the pandemic and how we've created this flexible work environment, we need to make sure we're holding on to that. Because I'd also think our next gen or millennial I don't even know what they're calling them, the iGen. When they come along, they're not, they're going to want a different experience. And then we need to think about that. So as a woman leader, I am very fortunate to have the people I had around it, around me. And people like you, Jack, I'm going to throw it out there. You never treated me any differently. And you were one, and think about how long we've known each other and very accepting. And not all men I met two decades ago might have been as gracious (laughs) as you were, as I would say, and make me feel confident in the room. And I think that's a testament to the people I've met. Well, I have to admit something as we're talking here, and I'm realizing it's almost like, don't take this the wrong way because it's not intended. It's kind of was genderless. It was sort of beside the point. Yes. Didn't matter. Yeah, it really didn't matter. You were just a good person, competent, capable, did good work, all those And it stuff shouldn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's where the function of a brinker capital, it was the job paid with the job paid. Right. It wasn't, you know, this was the skills. These are what you needed. Yep. And, and yep. that's what it was about. And it wasn't about gender. And I think that's the right thing. It should not be about that. Are you competent? Are you yes. easy to get along with, get, get work done? I mean, you have to yep. do that. Yep. But I think that was nice. When I think about it, that's why I made it. Yep. Not every yep. woman had the same experience. So I, I was very, very fortunate. I think you would agree with me too, because we're both big fans of Chuck Widger. I think uh, as with any organization, it always starts at the top. And Chuck is as fine a human being as I know. And I would add Eric Clark in that same category. Just you've worked with and are working with really fine human beings. And that makes a difference. You want to model yourself after positive role models like that. And I have to give Eric Clark also a very nice compliment. He made a lot of room for me with this merger. And I've learned a lot from him in his ability to bring me in and make me feel comfortable in a new environment where it might not have worked out. It's not unusual for the CEO of the other company to be very unhappy in short order. Mm -hmm. And I would say the reason it's working is because of the quality of a person he is and his generosity in allowing that. Yeah, I totally get that. And just tend to be a student of effective leaders. And you were in that category as is Eric. And my observation is they've made acquisitions over time. I'm speaking of Eric now and Orion. They made the acquisition with the intent of fully integrating them culturally, technologically, or capabilities-wise, whatever the appropriate terms are, which is really just smart. I mean, I can look at other companies that 
didn't do that and are suffering the consequences. It's about the talent pool, right? How do you pull right. the talent right. back over? Or a year in, our attrition at Brinker is about 10%, which is some a function of people made some money and they decided that they wanted to do sure. something else. <laughs> and some, you know, they might not have stayed at Brinker anyway, you know, sure. so. That's a low rate regardless, but. Yeah, I mean, and especially in, the, in a pandemic. So we've yes. been very yeah. lucky and, and new opportunities. I think that's the other thing in this merger opportunities for our team have just gotten bigger. So, which is exciting. We could keep going on this, but we probably should move on. But uh, I'm glad to call you a friend who I've watched succeed so uh, graciously. So it's been fun to watch. Good on you. Thank you. So uh, we probably should start moving toward our 30 minute mark. And uh, if you would be so kind as to, if you have three key points, what what are three key takeaways from our conversation? If you were to share that with another, perhaps an aspiring future CEO, president of a major financial services firm, what what would you share? So the three key points, one, watch the market outside of your market. Like watch, you know, take your head up, pick your head up, look at the different forces outside of your industry. Two, I think one of the books I highly recommend is um, Only the Paranoid Survive. I think when you look at that book and you think about inflection points, and especially in our industry, when you think of the regulatory environment, where we may see some changes now, especially think of crypto land. I thought it was interesting, some of the comments that are coming out of the SEC, and you think of technology as a disruptor, like, oh my goodness. And most importantly, the consumer preferences. And and I think the financial services industry has been in an inflection point pretty much for the last 10 years, almost since the financial crisis. It takes a long time to kind of muddle your way through. We've been fortunate to have really good market performance in that time period, but I still think we're in a, in a tremendous amount of change. And finally, Make sure you stay networked. You know, I think of our relationship, Jack, over the years, it's important because I know if I have a question, I can call you. I know if you have a question, you can call me. Mm-hmm. And I think of the relationships I've made and I probably didn't cherish them as much as I needed to early on, mm-hmm. but I do now. And I think that that's something I look back of all the types of friends I've made through the industry. I, I think of Cheryl Nash and our deep relationship and Lori Hardwick as, you know, women in the industry, not having sure. a lot. And so you go through that process. And, and so networking would be important as well. Yes. So one of the things actually, you and I haven't talked about this, but I, I think I may have mentioned this to you. I, I wrote a book called Authentic and Ethical Persuasion. And fundamentally, it's about uh, listening. And uh, one of the things that you and I share is we were at one time uh, wholesalers and, and pretty good ones at that. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I've always found to be an effective wholesaler, executive, anything, you got to be a good listener. Maybe talk about that a little bit because I've never sort of acknowledged that about you, but you're a great listener. Personally, I find if you're a good listener, boy, the world just sort of opens up to you. So maybe comment on that if you would. I think the the listening part is really around being intellectually curious. Like I love to hear other people's stories. And more importantly, if you're in the room, if you're listening, it's verbal as well as yeah. physical cues and, and paying yeah. attention, um, then ensuring that you're bringing everyone. Actually, a, a quick tip I would say now, even when I do virtual stuff, I can tell if someone wants to say something and they didn't, I ask them before we close, like especially if multiple people on a call, like we can't just lean away from that while we're we're in this virtual environment. But I think listening is a superpower. And yes. the people who are good listeners, I think, end up being most more successful than those who are not. Yep. Actually, a good friend and uh, colleague, as she's been on our podcast, John Connors, who runs a large uh, digital agency, communications agency in, in Boston. Uh, he stole it from someone else. I'll steal it from him. That uh, 98% of people can hear, only 4% listen. And uh, to your point, it's a, it's a superpower if you listen well. And I 
in my experience with wholesaling, I'm sure it's the same as for you. You just had to listen. You had to find out what the advisor was trying to accomplish and what their challenges or issues were. And then you showed them how to get to the other side to, to create a win for themselves and their clients. It's, it wasn't that hard. It was just a matter of finding out. And just leaning in and making sure you were, you're making yourself present and not, not you know, really listening. So I agree with you. So, but we're way off topic from Wealth Tech on deck, <laughs> but uh, sure was fun talking about it. So let's uh, bring it on home as we do each, uh, each week when we talk to folks like yourself. I'd love to find out what you do outside of work. It's not part of the everyday. Maybe people at, uh, in Berwyn would find it surprising that uh, you do something that you're particularly interested, passionate about, have fun doing. So what does uh, Noreen Beeman do away from work that people might find interesting or surprising? So one, because I am really from, I'm from North Jersey, I am an avid New York Giant fan. Even this year, I know it's a tough one. We've had two <laughs> tough games and a season ticket holder. So I am like legit go pay attention. So my Berwyn friends have figured that out. But I would tell you, not a lot of people know that I am like so passionate about the New York Giants and, and go. And then finally, I have these two giant Bernese Mountain Dogs who I just adore. And I've become one of those weirdo parents that, hey, you know, that same, hey, mommy, come say bye, mommy, come say bye, daddy, like with my dogs, because uh, my children are now grown. So it's really crazy, but it's, it's fun. That's great. That's great. Well, as always, Doreen, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. You are so full of life and uh, love. You're, you're just a good human being and, uh, and pretty darn competent at that, too. So it's, uh, it's been a lot, of, a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, Jack, thank you. It's been my pleasure, and I loved our conversation. So you yes. have a great day. Yeah. Till next time. All right. Thanks, Jack. Take care now. Bye now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech On Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.